This week's podcast episode is sponsored by Views and Cues, who makes their really neat Royal Caribbean scratch-off poster. When you buy this wall-worthy hanging post, you can scratch off each Royal Caribbean cruise ship that you've sailed on, and it even includes Odyssey of the Seas already. This is a great gift for any cruise fan or yourself, and looks great on your office wall, cubicle, or even your kid's bedroom. Remember which ships you've loved and which ones you need to sail on next, and check out the Royal Caribbean scratch-off poster available at Views and Cues. Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 407. What is the worst Royal Caribbean cruise ship? You might be wondering that, and you know what? I got the answer, but it's not exactly what you might think. Here we go. I get a lot of questions from people who want to know a lot of things about Royal Caribbean, every aspect of it. And one of the most common questions is, what is the worst Royal Caribbean ship? What ship should I avoid? And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're going to go out to dinner in your local town, you might say, hey, has anyone been to these restaurants? Which ones are ones to avoid? Not good. Same is true for electronics and a variety of things. And so a lot of people think, well, surely there must be a worst Royal Caribbean ship. And I would say, don't call me Shirley. And the answer is it's not, it's relative. You know, the, the notion of the worst Royal Caribbean ship uh, can make sense. A lot of those other examples I gave you, but when it comes to cruise ships, the answer is not so straightforward. And today I wanted to answer this question. So that way I can also point to people like, here's my answer for this one, because of course, Finding the worst Royal Caribbean ship or determining what's a not good fit for you may actually be a great fit for somebody else. That's the important thing. So the simple answer is there is no single worst Royal Caribbean cruise ship in the fleet because every ship offers a different experience that caters to a specific style of cruising. You know, just like a vacation to the Grand Canyon or Chicago may appeal to certain people as an amazing trip, while others might say, oh, gosh, I don't ever want to go to that place. Cruise ships come in different sizes and with different amenities to carry a certain appeal. And I think this is kind of something that occurs in travel in general. You know, I talked about the Grand Canyon or Chicago. I've got friends who love going hiking, you know, as a, as a vacation for fun. And uh, I, I personally couldn't think of a worse way to spend my time. I just imagine being sweaty, tired, and uncomfortable for a long period of time. But for a lot of people, they find it very rewarding. That doesn't make that a, the worst possible vacation to take, just not maybe something I want to particularly do. So when you pick the right Royal Cream ship to sail on, it's really a question of what do you want the ship to have on board? And is the ship you're considering have any of those things? And how much flexibility or unflexibility do you have in what they offer? A really common mistake that a lot of first-time cruisers do is they just simply don't understand the features and amenities that cruise ships offer. And a lot of times they either look at price or they're simply watching the commercials on TV or probably on YouTube now, like in pre-roll ads, right? And you see this, you're like, wow, that looks amazing. I'm going to book Vision of the Seas right now. And of course, Vision of the Seas doesn't have, you know, the Flow Rider and the, and the Ultimate Abyss slide and a couple other things. But again, the question is really not what's the worst Royal Caribbean ship, but what is the worst Royal Caribbean ship for you? And that's really the heart of what we're going to be talking about on this episode. So the key to finding the right ship is to do a little bit of research into what makes every ship unique and if that ship has the features, activities, and signature entertainment that you want in a ship. Now, Royal Caribbean has around 26 ships in its fleet right now, right? And each vessel is kind of customized to make it stand out just a little bit more 
from the rest, whether it's water slides or the Broadway shows on board or different public spaces on board or restaurants. You know, there's different ways that every ship kind of stands out. And certainly when you're first getting into cruising, if you're listening to this and you haven't been on a cruise ship before, you've only been on one or two, they're not all the same. That's a really important notion, especially when planning. And that's why it's so important to understand what the ship offers. I've shared this story a hundred times already, uh, either on the podcast, in person, or on various social media channels. But I think it's the best example of this. I was on Brilliance of the Seas, hanging by the pool, struck up a conversation with some random guy on the ship. And we were talking about Brilliance. And he goes, you know, I really don't like the ship at all. And I was really perplexed. I was having a great time. He says, well, we were just on Oasis of the Seas. And Oasis had all these other things to do. And Brilliance didn't have anything, any of those. And I didn't obviously say this to him. But I was thinking, well, yeah, of course, Brilliance, a Radiance-class ship, doesn't have all the features and amenities of an Oasis-class ship. But doing that research is what is really important in terms of expectations. That's the key right there. Because what you're expecting versus what the reality is, is, is I think, the key to any you know, avoiding basically a bad experience, right? And there are certain expectations I think everybody has based on what they see on the internet, on TV, reading a blog post, listening to podcast episodes like this, or even talking with friends and family, right? I mean, how often have you been to a family function or gone to work and talked with your coworkers and somebody says, oh, we're just on a great cruise for the last week. And oh, what cruise line did you go on? You know, and they might say, you know, Royal Caribbean, God willing, or they might say some other cruise line. But they rarely ever specify the ship or anything else. They just say, hey, we had a great time on Royal Caribbean. Oh, we had a great time on Disney. Oh, we had a great time on Norwegian. And so people then, first-timers that is, turn around and book any old cruise on there. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, if you're sitting at home, okay, Matt, what do I need to know? Like, how do I determine these kinds of things? I think the most important considerations kind of break down to about five or so topics. Number one, which pool deck activities does it offer? Does your ship have water slides, pools? Outdoor features like the Flowrider, those kinds of things. That's number one. Number two, what specialty restaurants are available on board? You know, especially dining, even though it is an optional thing that you pay extra for, I feel like so many people now place such a great emphasis on the specialty restaurants. When I first started cruising through the Royal Caribbean, you know, there was one or two specialty restaurants on a ship, and I thought that was a big deal. But now, my goodness, it is just a big deal. And certainly, my kids even are like, when we go on a cruise, hey, kids, we're going to be going on, you know, this ship next. As an example, our next cruise is Adventure of the Seas. And they asked me, do they have Hibachi on board? Because they love Izumi Hibachi, but it doesn't have Izumi Hibachi on board. So, you know, they were a little disappointed by that. Don't worry about them. They'll be fine. They'll, they'll make up for it in plenty of other ways. But these are the kind of considerations you want to know. Uh, does the ship have the newest thrill attractions? Are you looking for the ultimate abyss, water slides, uh, you know, the ripcord by iFly, uh, bumper cars, some people might care, might not care, or be indifferent, or simply, you know, be nice to know that kind of stuff, but not all ships have that. Uh, something for a family, especially if you have young, young children, does the ship have a nursery for any kids that are under 36 months old? There's very few ships that don't have them anymore, and especially not Majesty and Empress out of the fleet, but uh, Explorer of the Seas still does not have a nursery, so something to keep in mind. And lastly, uh, kind of along that note, what are there for families and kids to do on board? You know, we talked about, obviously, water slides, things like that, but... What else is there to do for families and kids on board? That kind of a decision-making process can obviously vary from person to person, but those are the kind of the, the starting points I look at as a good example of subjective things because I just rattled off five of them. I bet you, as you're listening to that, you kind of went through your head and be like, oh, I care about that. I don't care about that. It needs to have this or that. But someone else could have had completely different ex- uh, answers to those kind of questions. So, you know, those are the kind of the starting points. So, How do you learn about what a cruise ship has to offer? Well, 
<laughs> this is very self-serving, but because of the power of the internet, you have websites like Royal Caribbean Blog and a variety of other resources, of course, to learn about them. You know, in if we went back, I don't know, 20 years or so, or even more, you know, you really would have been more reliant on word of mouth, travel agents, and they're still part of this. I don't want to, you know, I'm not putting down travel agents, but you really, you were reliant on whom you had access to that actually went on a cruise. Now, it's still the same thing, except you have the whole wide internet instead of your circle of friends or, or colleagues that you know. So whether we're talking about past cruise compasses, YouTube videos, travel agents, still a great resource, or of course, <laughs> realgreenblog.com, you have a lot of access to information on what to do. So one of the first places I think, if, if you're unsure of the shape, say, Matt, you know, I saw a great price on Independence of the Seas. I have no idea what's on Independence of the Seas. What should I expect there? What does it offer? One of the best starting points is to read a past cruise compass. You know, you can watch a YouTube walkthrough video. You can do a lot of these things, but I think the best starting point is to look at a past cruise compass because it gives you a ballpark idea of expectations since really the offerings, you know, what there is to do on the ship really doesn't change, right? They don't change out restaurants between sailings and uh, certainly the activities remain fairly consistent. So it's a really good starting point anyway. And while there are other discrepancies, you know, you'll give you a general idea of what to expect. And if you read through them and say, wow, okay, it's got, you know, these restaurants and this activities. Okay, this sounds kind of cool. Then the next great thing is YouTube. I think YouTube is a fantastic resource. Again, a bit self-serving because I do have a YouTube channel, Royal Korean Blog, but, but really, truly, the, the joking aside, um, it's a great way to visualize what the ship has. Um, you know, you can read a lot. You can read a lot of blog posts. You can, you know, read the past cruise compasses, but being able to see with your own peepers, thanks to the power of YouTube, you know, there's a lot of walkthrough videos, there's reviews, you know, find ones, find a couple of them. I think after about two or three videos, you'll probably get a pretty good sense of what there is to do on there and get an idea, of course, of, of if it's a good fit for you. Because as you're watching these, I imagine you're going to have a reaction like, oh, this is really good or whoa, that's not what I expected at all. Or, oh, that looks kind of small or, you know, where's that thing? Those kinds of things, th those kind of responses, I think, are, are kind of what garner a good decision or not on what ship to do that. And of course, a travel agent, my goodness, if you're new to this or you're unfamiliar with the class of ships or you're traveling with different people, maybe you got on a cruise before, but now you're taking your parents with you. You're going on a multi-gen experience and you're bringing your, your brother and sister and they've got kids who have different ages than, than your kids. Travel agents, uh, again, such a great resource. And it's a good travel agent should be able to kind of give you an idea. Oh, you're traveling with older kids. Okay. This ship might be a better fit than that ship. Oh, you're going, you know, you guys are retired. Uh, you're looking to do a, a, a bucket list kind of cruise. Oh, this is definitely the one you want to go with this. So, you know, not only getting your pricing and all the kind of important things, but answering questions and giving you probably the best idea of, uh, of, of what to expect on board and which might be a better fit. Again, using a good travel agent. Don't be afraid to ask them. You know, I recently wrote a blog post uh, about some of the biggest mistakes that travel agents see cruise, their clients do. And one of them that surprised me was that people don't ask travel agents for their advice. They think that travel agents are kind of just like, you know, glorified credit card machines where, you know, you, you call them obviously to book something, you call them to make payments. And if there's a problem, they, they're kind of stepping in the way, but you know, they don't really take advantage, full advantage of the services they provide. And, you know, listen, they're cruise fans. They love talking cruises as well. So reach out to them and say, Hey, you know, we're kind of thinking about a vacation. We're not sure exactly if this ship or that ship is a better idea, or if this itinerary or that itinerary reach out to them. They're great resources on there. So with all that being said, I wanted to share some good tips for picking a great ship. So you don't end up with the worst Royal Caribbean ship for you. So what you like and what you don't like is really obviously 
dependent on the person we're talking about. But here's some basic reminders. First and foremost, the newest and most recently refurbished cruise ships are always safe choices for most families. Royal Caribbean usually puts its latest and greatest on ships that are brand new and or been recently refurbished. So they're really a good starting point for new cruisers. If you're listening to this and you're looking for a great ship going forward as cruising starts to resume, hopefully very, very soon, you know, one of the Oasis class, one of the Quantum class, or any of the refurbished ships that have been uh, Royal Amplified since 2018 are really good starting points. I mean, this is kind of a generalization, of course, but if you're a family, if you're new to cruising, I would heavily lean in that direction as a good starting point. Number two, very important. Don't book a cruise purely based on price. You can find a deal just about on any roller coaster cruise ship out there. So really, this is a hard one to do. Avoid the temptation to simply book whatever the cheapest sailing you can find on there. There are deals to be found, but don't just look at price and then determine, oh, these are my options for you. Sometimes paying a little bit more, not a lot more. I'm not saying you have to pay $5,000 more, just a couple hundred dollars more may mean the difference between a good cruise and a great cruise for you. And also, size isn't everything when it comes to ships. You know, I just talked about the newest and amplified ships as kind of being, you know, good choices. But let me tell you something. Bigger ships offer more space for whiz-bang amenities, but smaller ships offer a more intimate and classic cruising experience. Not everybody cares that there's all these kind of crazy things on board and water slides and, and you know, splash away bay and this and that, you know, what else? Don't discount small ships. Don't just say, oh, I'll do small ships in like 10 years after I've done every other ship out there. That's a mistake. You know, look for the ships that kind of have the itinerary number one, maybe a big appeal there, but don't just simply disregard the small ships. And lastly, where your ship sails to is an important factor. So make sure you weigh what each port of call offers and the appeal of different itineraries. Don't overlook that fact. I know Royal Caribbean makes its cruise ships all about what's available on board. By the end of the day, the ports you visit, some of them are truly amazing. And for a first timer, as an example, you know, if you're taking a, a Caribbean cruise and you're choosing between various itineraries, one that goes to Perfect Day Coco Key. I would argue is a much better choice than one that doesn't regardless of anything else that it goes to. So something else to keep in mind there. So I hope that you understand there isn't really truly a worst Royal Caribbean ship. There isn't a categorically, this is the one to avoid for everybody out there. It's a question of what you're looking for, what you prefer. And that would be my starting point for anybody looking to pick a great ship. Okay, it's time to answer some of your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I dedicate the episode to answering questions that you have sent me, you, the podcast listeners, have sent in. And if you want to send me your email, you can send it to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. First email this week is from Doug from Sterling Heights, Michigan. Long-time listener to the podcast, first time writing in. My family is planning our first Royal Caribbean cruise in August 2022 on Independence of the Seas at Port Canaveral. We're planning on doing a Disney cruise from Monday to Friday and then three nights on Independence so we can try Royal Caribbean and see Perfect Day. My question is this. When we get off the Disney cruise on Friday morning, we'll probably have some time to kill before we head over to the terminal. Do you have any suggestions for the best way to do this? I imagine we can't go right over to Royal Caribbean's terminal that early. Should we go to a place nearby to hang out for a while with our stuff and then Uber or Lyft back to the cruise port? Any suggestions would be great. Love the podcast and excited to try Royal Caribbean for the first time. Hey, Doug, thanks for the email. This is an interesting question. I don't think I've ever gotten this one before. So I'm pretty sure you're talking about Port Canaveral, right? Your your cruise, your Disney cruise ends in Port Canaveral, and then your Independence of the Seas cruise begins in Port Canaveral. So um, yeah, when you get off the Disney ship, this is all pre-COVID, of course, Doug, so I don't know what the new protocols will be, but let's assume that's all the case. You'll get off the ship. I mean, the latest you get off the ship is about 9, 9.30. You really have to struggle to get off that late because... Of course, once you get past like 8.30, they start really looking for people to get off the ship and be on their way. 
So it's pretty tough. I think most people end up getting off the ship somewhere between, I would say, 7.30 and 8.30, uh, realistically. And you're right. Usually, the cruise terminal doesn't begin, doesn't open until about 10 a.m., and that was pre-COVID. That could change, obviously, going forward. So uh, let's assume you've got some time to kill, and we'll answer that for your question. So the answer to your question is you got a couple options. Number one, Port Canaveral, actually, there's a couple things in Port Canaveral. There's a number of restaurants slash bars. Uh, Grills is the one that comes to mind. They offer breakfast. You can go there very easily. You can actually... You could walk it. I, I, the, I, I know the from Terminal 1, where Royal Caribbean is to, to Grills, is a walkable distance. The Disney one, you might have to take a taxi, and the guy's gonna the taxi driver's going to roll his eyes at you for driving you know, half a mile. But hey, I don't want to bring my luggage half a mile. But it's right there. It's right next to Terminal 1. There's an outdoor bar. Uh, you can get drinks if you'd like to start your party that early. Uh, there's food. It's a great place to hang out and kind of chill out while you wait. It's the easiest probably the most convenient spot you can think of. Certainly, you have other choices. Um, in terms of the luggage, if you got there by a certain time, I don't know what time the porters start beginning to take luggage because ordinarily, the port there will always be some porters out there start taking luggage even before the terminal opens up, which is good so that you could drop off your luggage and then go somewhere else after that, but I don't know exactly know what time it is. Um, and beyond that, you know, you could go do stuff in like Cocoa Beach, you know, maybe go to the beach, but you got all your stuff with you. That's why I think Grills is probably your best bet. One other thing you could do, Doug, something that Disney may, I know Royal Caribbean offers, I have no idea if Disney offers it, but uh, if they do, Royal Caribbean offers uh, excursions for the end of the day, or the, the, the the end of the cruise rather, um, where usually it's like, it's like a tour of like Port Canaveral or like going to like the Kennedy Space Center. And then they take you back to the uh, to the airport because most people are leaving. You could, of course, not return back to the. Just tell the tour guide, "Hey, we ain't coming back for the bus ride because we're going back to the port." And then take a taxi from there. And the nice thing is they store your luggage for you. The the excursion again, you'd have to work with Disney on that. I don't know if that's an option, but something else to noodle through is a possibility. But hey, you never know. I mean, weirder things have happened, right? So there you go, Doug. Hopefully that makes sense. If, I, if it were me. I'd probably just go to grills and kind of chill out there and have some breakfast. And it, it just seems like the simplest way to do it. So thanks for the email, Doug. Appreciate it. Our next email is from uh, Gabriel. Right? Uh, hi, Matt. New podcast listener here. Question for you. Do you think Royal Caribbean will undertake the refurbishment of the Lure of the Seas anytime soon? Thank you for the email, Gabriel. So, so a little backstory for anyone who was unaware. In 2020, Allure of the Seas was scheduled to get a royal amplification. So not only was she supposed to get refurbished, which you heard about in last week's episode, you know, kind of under the hood work and maintenance, she was supposed to get some upgrades. And and Gabrielle wants to know, what are they going to do that? And will it be anytime soon? You know, it's a really good question because the reason why they didn't do them as scheduled was because they had no money. They were, you know, bleeding money. And they're still bleeding money. You know, every quarter, they've been losing at least a billion dollars. And maybe... In the next quarter, they might report a loss that's like in the hundreds of millions instead of billion, one can hope. So obviously, they're not out of the dire straits, if you will, of the uh, of, of the problems they're facing there. The thing is, we don't know when that'll happen. That being said, Royal is still spending money. I mean, we've heard about that Royal Caribbean is committed to building a new cruise terminal in Galveston. and that project's going forward. They're clearly in discussions to be purchasing land in the Bahamas to build new port areas. So it's not like the faucet for money isn't completely turned off. Uh, and, and who knows? Because at the end of the day, businesses know that there's a cost of doing business and you got to spend money to make money, all those kinds of things there. The the simplest answer I can give you is we don't know. There's no there's been absolutely zero indications that that will occur anytime soon. 
Um, number one, you have to remember, cruise ships go in for dry dock, as you heard last week, every five years. And what that means is usually Royal Caribbean timed upgrades, amplifications to their dry dock schedule. Alert did get her dry dock, her refurbishment, because they've got it for seaworthiness. So who knows if that means it'll be another four and a half years before she goes back again, or will they try to do it again sooner? My, if I had to guess, and let me let me be perfectly clear on this, ladies and gentlemen, I know nothing more than any of you do, and I am very certain I'm usually wrong about these predictions. But if I had to predict, my prediction based on today would be ship upgrades. You know, water slides, restaurants, all those cool whiz bang features are going to be on hold for quite a while until really and truly the cash flow situation is is better. Cruise ships are back in service. You've got most ships back in service and they're starting to see the money start to flow back in so you know they can pay off those loans they've been taking for the last 18 months. So uh that would be my then you would start spending money like that on things like this. So we're that in in my, in my opinion because I have no financial background whatsoever, you know, that to me seems like a year or two away from being announced. And I suspect that they would do that. They would announce a new, instead of Royal Amplify, they'll announce Royal Return of Flight or something like, I don't know, something along those lines, right? I mean that. So anyway, this is a really long answer to, I don't know, uh, Gabrielle, when that might occur, but um, I, I, I don't think that it's going to be soon. You asked if it was many times soon. I just don't see that happening for a variety of reasons, logistically and financially. But listen, I'm not right all the time. In fact, I'm rarely right with these predictions, so who knows? But there's no way, there's no signs right now today to indicate that it would occur anytime soon. So probably not the answer you're looking for, but don't forget, Alert is still a fabulous ship with or without the Ultimate Abyss and some other upgrades there. So, and if you really want those upgrades, of course, you still can go on, you know, Waste of the Seas is your best choice, but Harmony and Symphony have them as well, so. Next email is from Brett in Arizona. I got my future cruise credit in. So I booked a cruise nine days out of Baltimore, June 2nd, 2022. We usually book a grand suite since we're Diamond Plus. This time, our travel agent quoted us the price in a grand for a grand suite, an owner suite. Since it wasn't much more, we and we had future cruise credit, we went with the owner suite. Did I just totally waste money with my FCC on a walk-in shower and bidet? Are there any benefits other than being in bigger and better located hardly on the ship? It's a good question, Brett. So Brett wants to know, Grand Suite to Owner Suite, what do I really get for that? You're getting a bigger room, number one. You're getting a way more living space. It doesn't seem like it may on paper, but trust me when I say it feels like a lot more living space. You're, it, there's just more space to kind of essentially walk and not run into things um, on there. And that's what it's really about. More than anything, yeah, the room location may be a smidge better and things like that. The question really isn't a question, did you waste your money? No, no, The question is how much more was it? Um, yeah, FCC is kind of, you know, free money in a sense. You spent it a while ago. It's long gone, so it's magic money. It's it's like, you know, bank error in your favor, sort of, except you already spent this money. But if you're anything like me, Brett, once the money goes out and your bank account's been reconciled and all that, it, it you know, it's just, it's like monopoly money at that point, right? It's just kind of out there. It exists. You can use it, but it's not like, you know, by spending that money, it has an impact on your, your family budget, right? So I understand that, that logic and the logic is, well, you already spent that money to now go to an owner's seat might cost you out of pocket. I don't know, $500, $1,000 instead of, you know, maybe only paying a hundred dollars out of pocket. You can make that argument. To me, the question to book either a grand suite or an owner's suite always comes down to how much more is it? You know, 
there's a lot of answers for that. Some people might say, oh, it's definitely going to be, you know, you could only spend it if it's, you know, this X amount of dollars, uh, $500 more, $1,000 more, you know, for a, for a seven night cruise, you know, it's, it's debatable depending on a lot of different possibilities, but, um, I wouldn't pay, you know, thousands of dollars more for it, regardless if I have an FCC or not. So on, uh, since I don't have the answer here, Brett, um, you know, it's going to be up to you, but you're not making a mistake. I mean, obviously if you saw the price and you didn't like your jaw didn't drop and you actually told your travel agent YOLO book it, then I think you probably did a good job. I mean, it's a great owner suites are really nice and you're going to really enjoy that extra space, especially when you get in there. You're going to be like, oh my goodness, this is lavish and, and extravagant. Hey, the bidet ain't bad either. So enjoy that, buddy. And our last question today comes to us from uh, Eamon McCarthy, who writes, Greetings from an Irish listener. After every cruise, you get a rating questionnaire. And there's one question I'm not sure how to answer. You are always asked if the waiters or waitresses, stateroom attendants, etc., ask you to give them a good rating. While they ask me to fill out the form, they've never asked me to give a good rating. So I'm not sure if they're supposed to ask me to fill it out or not. What do I answer this question? In my experience, I've only had brilliant service from the waiters or waitresses, stateroom attendants, etc., and have always given them top ranks. The only thing that really gets under my skin is if you book the set time in the main dining room. Why are you put at a table with six strangers when I request a table for two? On our last cruise, my wife says she hadn't a clue what she had for dinner as she was trying to think of something to say to strangers. I have heard so many other cruise couples say that they feel the same as me. Cruising for me and my wife is time to enjoy quality time together, not with strangers. Eamon, thanks for the email. So good question. And let's talk about your other issue later on. Um, so the, how to answer the, the survey question. And, and I've gone through this exercise myself, so you're in good company. In my opinion, if somebody, if a crew member says to you, reminds you to take the survey or it points out that it's important, that's fine. I think that I don't say no, no one like coerced you to do it. However, if somebody starts giving you the, the basically um, guilts you into filling it out, not, not filling it out, but giving them like five stars. I've heard this a lot. If I don't get anything but five stars, I get demoted, I get in trouble. That's when I feel they're asking, the reason why they're asking this question is to avoid situations like this. They want the the, the guests to fill out the, the surveys and be honest, but they also don't want the guests to fill out the surveys out of, again, guilt. Like, oh my goodness, if I don't give my head waiter five stars for everything, he's going to get you know, uh, you know, fired or lose his job or whatever. Now, on the other side, I understand the, the issue. The issue is there are a lot of people who believe, and I don't disagree with them in, in regular life, that nothing is ever five stars, right? That, you know, nothing is perfect. There's always room for improvement. Thus, nobody should get five stars. Okay, yes, you can be right about those in some things. But when it comes to the cruise, it's, it's not really how it works. Basically, the cruise line looks at it a completely different way. And I think that's what the, the crew members are trying to convey to you that, you know, this isn't a question of, you know, was everything the the best it possibly could be, but was it, you know, for lack of a better word, I guess five stars is basically, was it, you know, up to your, up to what you were looking for? You know what I mean? Um, so at the end of the day, if the crew member guilts you into it, gives you a story um, that, that makes you feel, oh gosh, if I don't give this guy five stars, he's going to get fired. Then I say, I answer, yes, somebody did ask me to do that. But if they, but they simply say, Thanks for cruising with us. Hope you had a great time. Make sure when you get home, fill out that survey. It's very important that you do so. That's it without the guilt. Absolutely. No, no, no one coerced me to do it. Um, that's fine on, on that front. So that's how I look at it over there. Now, in terms of the main dining room and sitting with other people, you know, the reason why you sit with other people primarily, it's a holdover from the old days of cruising from cruise liners where that's how it was. I mean, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I'm talking about 50 plus years ago 
when you went on a cruise ship or an ocean liner, there were only a couple hundred people on board the ship. So for a form of socialization, you would sit with the other people at dinner. That carried through through the cruise lines and still a thing today, especially if you're doing set time. And I do that as well. A couple things to aim at. Number one, you can, before the cruise, request uh, to have a table for two. Now, you mentioned that I, I think you asked for one. You always request a table for two. There's an email address. I'm not sure if you had done that or some other method, but you want to send the email a couple of weeks beforehand. It's uh, rcldining at rccl.com. But uh, when you get on board the ship, Eamon, and obviously this is a sticking point for you. So this is what I would recommend you do. When you get on the ship uh, on embarkation day, at some point in the afternoon on the first day, go to the main dining room, look on your C-Pass card. You'll be able to find your dining assignment, your table. Go to it. If you see more than two people there, then go ask to speak to the head waiter who's on duty. In the afternoon, there's a waiter, head waiter on duty who can fix assignments, things like that. Anyway, ask for it at that point. I don't think you'll have any problem getting a, a table for two at that at that point. I've, between the email ahead of time and or the strategy I just gave you, it's worked every single time. So don't just suck it up is what I'm trying to say. Uh, ask them about that, and you should be able to avoid that situation altogether. Thank you, Eamon, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want me to answer your emails, you have something you want to share, comment, thought, rant, like Eamon's there, would love to hear them. Send it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.